Hi, my name is Michael Lefebvre. Welcome to my podcast, The Bible is Beautiful. This is part two in the series on Jesus' Beatitudes. In the previous episode, we looked at what a beatitude is. A beatitude extols something we believe will make life happy. Jesus' Beatitudes are quite unusual, but I believe they are statements of happiness to be read as Beatitudes. However, most commentaries, at least most modern commentaries, don't teach the Beatitudes this way. Most interpret Jesus' words as moral exhortations. I want to explain why this is wrong and to help you rediscover the beauty of Jesus' Beatitudes when read as Beatitudes. In this episode, I want to look at the specific traits that Jesus identifies in his Beatitudes. For example, Jesus says, Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. Poor in spirit, mourning, and meekness are traits or experiences Jesus lists as warranting happiness. When the Beatitudes are interpreted as moral exhortations, those traits must be interpreted as character qualities in each Beatitude. If each Beatitude is a moral exhortation, then each trait must be a moral virtue. But are the experiences Jesus lists in his Beatitudes moral virtues? To be sure, some of the traits Jesus mentions are character qualities. Traits like mercy, blessed are the merciful, and pure-heartedness, blessed are the pure in heart, are moral virtues. But for the moral exhortation approach to work, every single one of the Beatitudes must extol a character quality. However, only some of the Beatitudes do list moral qualities. Not all of them do. For instance, blessed are those who mourn is not extolling a virtue. It is proclaiming happiness upon disciples who are weeping. Weeping is not a moral virtue. To interpret that Beatitude as a moral exhortation, commentators must find a way to represent the word mourn as a character quality. For example, here is how John Stott, in his excellent little commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, explains, Blessed are those who mourn. He writes, What kind of sorrow can it be which brings the joy of Christ's blessing? Those here promised comfort are those who mourn with the sorrow of repentance. That is a huge assumption. Jesus never says anything about repentance in this beatitude. He simply declares happy those who grieve. But John Stott, like many commentators, presupposes Jesus must have a moral virtue in mind, and repentance becomes the decoded meaning of mourn. To sustain the moral exhortation interpretation, commentators must find ways to turn all seven traits into moral virtues but only a few of them actually are. Others, like mourning, are just experiences of sorrow. Let me go through each of the seven traits listed in the Beatitudes, and let me show you how each of them, including the virtues that Jesus lists, 
marks another kind of suffering typically faced by Jesus' disciples. There are seven specific experiences that Jesus lists. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are the merciful. Happy are the pure in heart. And happy are the peacemakers. First, Jesus announces joy to those who are poor in spirit. The parallel in Luke 6 simply says, blessed are the poor. And in Luke's version, blessed are the poor, is specifically contrasted with a woe upon the rich. Luke makes it clear, at least on the occasion recorded by Luke, Jesus pronounced happiness upon the economically impoverished. But Matthew's version adds the phrase in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. Does that added in spirit turn this poverty into spiritual poverty? And if so, what is spiritual poverty? Does spiritual poverty mean, as many say, humility? Many interpreters suggest that poor in spirit means humility, but that is a guess, ventured under the perceived obligation to find a moral virtue in the phrase. But nowhere else in the Bible do we read about spiritual poverty as being a moral virtue, much less that it means humility in particular. In fact, since Luke's version of the Beatitude is definitely about poverty, it seems best to stick to the normal meaning of the word poor in Matthew as well. The added phrase in spirit does not change the meaning of poor, Instead, it emphasizes the depth and impact of poverty. Poverty empties more than one's purse. Jesus understands that poverty exhausts both the cupboard and the soul. In English, we use the phrase soul-crushing poverty when we want to emphasize the emotional impact that poverty has upon the soul. The New Testament expression, poor in spirit, seems to be the equivalent to our English idiom, soul-crushing poverty. Disciples of Jesus, living by His ways, may suffer economically as a result. Jesus reaches out to those who do. With this beatitude, He declares that such poverty that crushes even the soul is nevertheless a badge of happiness in His society. The second beatitude begins with another paradox. Happy are those who mourn. Luke repeats this beatitude also. Here is how Luke chapter 6 presents it. Happy are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. But woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Once again, the beatitude presents a point of sorrow, not a moral virtue. Jesus' disciples are apt to face all manner of griefs for his sake. But those who do should grieve with the knowledge that they have a claim upon happiness in heaven society. The third beatitude calls for the meek to be happy. Now the term meek can refer to a virtue, but it usually refers to one's status. Let me explain. In the New Testament world, the word meek referred to one who had no rights and no recourse. For example, an enslaved person was meek by status. 
he or she could be beaten and shamed, and they had no recourse. The enslaved must simply turn the other cheek. That is what it meant to have the status of the meek. Regardless of whether one had an attitude of compliance or rage, regardless of what one's attitude may be, the status of being meek was to be vulnerable with no recourse. Meekness in the New Testament world was a status. In fact, it is because Jesus willingly took on the status of the meek that for Christians, meekness became more than a loathed status. Since Jesus, we now honor meekness as a virtue. But in the New Testament world, meekness was first and foremost a status. The meek were those with no recourse to defend themselves when wronged. Disciples of Jesus are apt to be marginalized in society and left with no recourse when shamed. But if you are so marginalized for Jesus' sake, that meekness is your badge of honor in his society. The fourth beatitude encourages those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. According to the moral exhortation view, this refers to a yearning for holiness. Well, that sounds good. But hunger and thirst for righteousness is an odd way to commend holiness. Why not say, blessed are the righteous, rather than, blessed are those who want to be righteous? No, this phrase is also best understood as a plight of the suffering disciple. Elsewhere in the Bible, to hunger or to thirst indicates the lack of something needed. And while righteousness can refer to a subjective virtue, the term can also refer to the objective condition of receiving justice. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to yearn for justice and not receive it. Jesus' disciples may suffer injustice for his sake, but when they hunger and thirst after justice as a consequence of their faithfulness, Disciples can be assured of their claim upon happiness in Jesus' kingdom. That covers the first four Beatitudes. The next three can be taken together. Happy are the merciful, happy are the pure in heart, and happy are the peacemakers. These three are, in fact, virtues. The previous four are not virtues, but experiences. These three are virtues. And of all the virtues of a disciple, there's a reason why Jesus cites these three specific ones. Normally in the New Testament, when Christian virtues are being commended, we find lists like faith, hope, and love, or love, joy, peace, and patience. But here Jesus lists mercy, purity of heart, and peacemaking. These three are selected because these are virtues which are countercultural and which typically involve loss. Mercy is when you are in a position to impose a penalty on someone else, but for reasons of charity, you forgive instead. You abandon your claim. Mercy is not the way of happiness in the world. It requires sacrifice. To be pure in heart is not the way of success in the world either. In Roman society, 
Those who would succeed in business or politics must be cunning. Manipulation, spin, and underhandedness are the tools of advancement. But Jesus' disciples are called to integrity with no ulterior motives. This will lead to losses when doing business in the Roman markets. To be pure in heart is to conduct oneself without ulterior motives. To be a peacemaker also requires loss. Today we use the word peacemaker to refer to a neutral mediator, someone who stands between two people in a dispute. But that's not the meaning of the term here. A peacemaker here is one of the parties of the dispute. In a dispute, the peacemaker is the party who surrenders his case simply for the sake of peace. All three of these virtues, mercy, purity of heart, and peacemaker, are qualities that mark a loser in Roman society. These are not the traits that make a person happy and successful in the world, but they are traits of discipleship. And in Jesus' society, happy are the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemaker. Those are seven ways in which disciples, particularly in the first century, were likely to suffer. But those seven kinds of suffering are not the only hardships disciples might face. After listing those seven, Jesus ends the list with a general catch-all statement. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Like adding etc. at the end of a list, that final beatitude assures disciples who suffer in other ways that they too have a claim to happiness in Jesus' kingdom. Now all through this discussion, I have repeatedly emphasized one point. These beatitudes declare happiness on those who suffer when they suffer for righteousness' sake. That qualification is not stated in the seven beatitudes individually, but it is added at the end. In his conclusion to the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Happy are those who are persecuted, namely in the seven ways just mentioned, or in other ways, for righteousness' sake. Indeed, happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, on my account. This conclusion adds that important qualification Jesus is declaring happiness on those who suffer when that suffering is experienced on account of their efforts to be righteous in an unrighteous world. These are not promises for those who do wicked deeds and suffer for it. But neither is this a promise for those who attain perfect righteousness. It is a set of assurances for those who love Christ and follow his ways, even when doing so, costs, and it will. The disciples of the first century church suffered greatly under Roman oppression. They needed these words of joy to eclipse their suffering. Your experiences may be different, but maybe you too can identify with one or another of these kinds of sufferings typical of those who strive to be faithful in this broken world. 
If your heart is knit to the culture of heaven, you will inevitably find yourself out of sync with the Beatitudes of the world. So Jesus declares the Beatitudes of heaven upon you for your encouragement. The very experiences that the world regards as misery are for you marks of your claim upon the good life in Jesus' kingdom. We miss that consolation when we read the Beatitudes as moral exhortations. But these are not exhortations that reprove. These are Beatitudes, and Jesus declares them to give you joy in your sorrows.